Canucks Central Tuesday. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Here at the corner of Walk and Don't Walk, this program, this hour, is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company, helping local business since 1892. The Canucks are uh, pretty much all in town now, Sat. Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes, the whole gang seems to be uh, getting ready. They're having scrimmages over at eight ranks. It's, uh, it's getting to be that sort of time. Yeah, just a week, uh, we're over a week out for training camp starting, so these guys are, you know, getting their skates in, and it's funny though, seeing some of the videos from the scrimmage, and you know, people breaking it down and everything like that, (laughs) it shows you the appetite for Canucks hockey, I'm not besmirching any of that, because hey listen, people want content, and people provide content, and people consume it, but it it was quite comical seeing the reactions to... uh, Un, uh, what is it, unofficial scrimmages? <laughs> <laughs> unofficial scrimmages, because training camp isn't until uh, next next Friday. It's like uh, guys playing shitty. Yeah, basically guys playing shitty. Um, so it's it's hard to break down. You can maybe uh, fall into a, a, a trap of being like, ooh, this looks really good. Um, but, you know, the one thing that, that did stand out, and again, it is an unofficial scrimmage, but Quinn Hughes shows up and he's playing the right side with Oliver Ekman Larson. And that's something we've been thinking about, mm-hmm. hearing about all summer long. Uh, we talked about it yesterday on the show with Rob Simpson. It's like, okay, I, I guess this is something that everybody knows they want to try and we're getting our first looks at it now. Yeah. And uh, Quinn, like Boudreaux revealed earlier this week, he's in a couple of interviews, including on Donnie and Dolly. And we have, Donnie coming up a bit later on the show, so we'll talk to him about this as well, I'm sure. But Boudreaux mentioned that Hughes yeah. was the one who really brought up wanting to play on the right side, wanted to try it out and all that sort of stuff. So this is based on some discussions, of course, with the organization, with the coaching staff. And it's smart for him to get ahead of it and start. If you're doing, if you are going to give it a shot, the right side, yeah. you better work on it ahead of training camp. And once training camp starts, give yourself the best chance to have success in doing so. It poses a lot of questions, like we mentioned in terms of who ends up playing the left side, what does that mean for Danny DeKaiser, who is on a PTO, who's a lefty defenseman, what's Tucker Pullman's ultimate um, status going to be? He is skating with the scrimmages, he's there playing, so he looks okay, but we'll see what happens when he meets with the doctors and training camp begins and goes through the rigorous testing, which that's when you really start determining, okay, how does your body handle the failure of this physical exhaustion, what does that do to your mind and all that sort of stuff? And I think that's going to be a real test for him. But if he can't play the right side because he's not available, then it becomes a bit more important to start Quinn Hughes on the right side. Then you see a little bit more of a clearer picture of of how it could work. We're going to have a bit of a conversation here about the Canucks' depth, and and I guess we can just start uh, right there on defense, given what we saw today and, and how it's potentially lining up. But if you just go through it in your head, okay, OEL Hughes... There's your top pair. Uh, then you would have Jack Rathbone and Tyler Myers, mm-hmm. which you know we've seen when Quinn Hughes and Tyler Myers play together, it uh, can have some decent offensive results at times, but also can give a lot of it back. Oh, of course, at the defensive end. And you know, it's funny because in theory we talked about how you want OEL to to be um, liberated by having somebody who can take care of the defensive responsibilities, allow him to just be himself, essentially. 
that doesn't seem to be the case if he's playing with Quinn. Because Quinn's not going to be the stay-at-home, you-go-and-Rome type of deal. But I think that Quinn Hughes is also a player who, just because he's the guy who might take more chances or be the more offensive-minded one, doesn't mean he's going to blow his defensive coverages. Doesn't well, mean he's going to recover that. really well. Not only that, great point. He can also find Oliver Ekman-Larsen because there will be a lot of space for, with him going. Mm-hmm. So if you have a defenseman as good and active as Quinn Hughes, you have OEL, who's another strong offensive defenseman, if he's going to be kind of living on the point with his shot, how does that open up opportunities for Oliver Ekman-Larsen 5-on-5 five five offensively with Quinn Hughes being able to be on the right side, create more offense, and perhaps being able to create some havoc in the offensive zone? And guess what? Oliver Ekman-Larsen, even though he's, he'll be staying back, so to speak, near the blue line, that's going to allow him an opportunity to shoot the puck more, which is something he does really well. Yeah, and OEL showed how good he can be defensively last year. So, whereas Myers... You know, he can get caught pinching from time to time. He likes to make the pinch at the blue line, the offensive blue line, and it may end up costing him going back the other way sometimes. And I think those were the types of things that had to uh, hold OEL back a little bit. But, you know, those are not going to be as big a problem with Quinn Hughes and also just the theory of, hey, they'll be playing more offense uh, together and that might be able to get... OEL more offensive opportunities that way but Rathbone Myers and then your third pair like who's playing the left side you know we talk about you know moving Quinn over but you move Quinn over to the right side and now your depth chart on the left is OEL Rathbone DeKaiser Dermot Dermot? You always forget Dermot. I always forget Dermot. <laughs> but but Dermot can play you the right side. You listen to the show every day. You know I forget Dermot quite often. So. You you brought up the other day. No, but right now I'd say Dermot and Rathbone. And I, I think for Rathbone, as much as this team wants him to come and take a job and they're open to it, it comes down to also traits and what gaps can you fill. And if you're going to... Be short a Pullman, who's mm-hmm. a penalty killer potentially. You have Quinn Hughes playing the right side. He can kill penalties like he showed he did this past year, but are you really going to throw him out a ton on the PK? What else do you look to do? Do you have a good defensive presence on the left side? And I think that's where Jack Rathbone, not only does he have to show some offensive ability, I think he has to show some maturity in his game. Because yeah. if he does, this is a massive opportunity for him to come in and play. Hughes will be on the right side. Now you got a chance to duke it out with Dermot to see if you get a top four spot even on the left side. You know, Here's a chance for you to emerge. But if he can't show that defensive maturity yet, then it's going to be really easy for them to just be like, you know what, let's just sign to Kaiser. Yeah. Probably 750K, 800K, whatever it is. And we'll send Rathbone down to the minors. He's waiver exempt. And now we have a guy who can kill, kill penalties and a guy who can give us a little bit of defensive cover. So I think DeKaiser, all of a sudden, his chances of making team are better. But I think if Rathbone comes in and shows some maturity in his game, it's his opportunity to seize. Yeah, if Quinn is able to, and I don't see why he wouldn't be able to um, you know, play well on the right side, it, it does make it a little bit more obvious where DeKaiser fits on the roster, on the NHL roster, even as a seventh defenseman for this team. But to me, it, it does kind of come down to Dermot and, and Rathbone a little bit. And I know... Ra- Dermot uh, spoke to Boudreaux over the summer, wants to find more offense in his game, or that was part of the message from Boudreaux because Dermot is a smooth skater, yeah. um, tends to make some mistakes with the puck, but you know you see some 
potential, I guess, there to have more offense than he's shown in his NHL career to this point. But can you really trust a Dermott and Myers pair together? I think that's maybe one of the questions you have to ask if you're moving Quinn to the right side. Well, I mean, it's an excellent point. Who do you play with Myers to get the best out of Myers? Yeah. And there are certain things that Dermott provides, which I think can be really good. One of the things he does well, and to your point earlier about Quinn, who's good at recovering, Dermott's very good at recovering. Yeah, good skater. Great great skater, very athletic, gets there quickly, and and, and he's really good at at selling out and blocking shots, getting the way of passing lanes. So he uses his speed and athleticism really well when trying to recover. So in theory, when when Myers does his Myers thing and it creates havoc, here's a guy that can can maybe come back and, and be rangy and cover some ground and, and perhaps help out with it but to your point there's also going to be a level of risk because he's not the he doesn't have the highest defensive iq in defending mm-hmm. he's not bad but he doesn't have that elite you know defensive sense when he's defending and making those quick decisions and the second part about his game is he makes some blunders is that going to be a bit too high a risk yeah. having those two guys together but to the qualities mm-hmm. that he has if he can play smarter there he has a qualities physical qualities I think, to be a decent partner for Myers. You just, uh, you need Dermot and Myers um, to really buy into the quick out of the zone type of clearance. You know, the the zone exits with possession, though, because you don't just want to be clearing it out and giving possession right back. But can they be a pair that is able to make that breakout pass consistently and not have the turnover when they're trying to make that? And we know that's been a bit of an issue for Dermot where, okay, some of the analytics look great and look nice, but when he plays tougher competition, not as great. And also he tends to make that big mistake that coaches really don't like. And that's been one of the reasons he's been a successful third pairing defenseman, but not much more than that to this point in his career. But this comes back to like the defensive depth on this team because these are the guys we're talking about, and that's pretty much it on this roster. Well, the, you know, and somebody just texted in and said, it should have brought back Brad Hunt. And it's like, um, I love Brad Hunt, and I would have been fine with him signing a two-way deal and coming and fighting it out. Like he signed a two-way deal with Colorado. I would have been fine with him coming back and doing so. But Brad Hunt doesn't provide something the Canucks don't currently have outside of just organizational depth, which is important. You love to have it, and it's good. But Brad Hunt doesn't provide two things this team needs on the left side in terms of depth. One is kill penalties, and one is being a strong defensive player. Brad Hunt, offensive player, moves the puck well, right? Can play on the PK. I mean, power play. There's a lot of stuff you like about Brad Hunt. But this team on the left side has no defensive presence. And that's why Danny DeKaiser comes in here. And that's why it looms so large just by being on a PTO that if he can show a little, he skates all right, he shows that he's healthier, he's okay, there's a good chance of him ending up being on this team. Because they don't have anybody depth-wise right now, Dan, on the left side that projects as a strong defensive player, or at least somebody who can handle himself defensively on the PK. And It was their glaring hole last year, you know, and it forced... OEL into a PK role that, mm-hmm. you know, Alex Edler was having and where he's just that guy. And that wasn't really suited to OEL's game. And I think it played a part in their poor penalty killing percentages, especially through the first part of the year. But the Kaiser can do those things. For sure. And now can he do it though in a top four level? Because my, my biggest question now on the Canucks back end, if Hughes does end up playing the right side is who's your, who can play the second pair of minutes on the left side? Because, you know, Will's texting in and saying, you know, how about Shen with Rathbone? Hey, I'm all for that. Third pair. 
Yeah. Rathbone and Shen, that's a nice third pair. The question I have is, how are you getting a second pairing to, to round out your top four? Myers is going to be a part of it. Yeah. You're it's thinking it's, or... it's Dermot or DeKaiser with Myers. Right. And I don't, not, not for a second do I think DeKaiser and Myers would work together. Not that's... with where DeKaiser's career is at right yeah i mean it all depends on what he shows because you know we we had helene st james on last week to kind of talk about the kaiser and there was some surprise that he's even playing this year because he's gone through so many injuries and he looked really labored uh the last couple of years but if he actually is healthy yeah can he cover because i mean what do you who does he have to beat out <laughs> dermot and rathbone yeah to, to play that kind of those kind of minutes, Dermot and Rathbone. Yeah, and if Rathbone's not quite ready yet, it's just Dermot. And has so, Dermot shown enough for you to say, oh, yeah, I mean, you know. Well, I think kind of what we're, we're doing here as we go through this process is like, it's great. Like, you're trying to figure out Quinn Hughes on the right side, and, and maybe it works. And maybe it gives you this one ace pair with yeah. OEL and Quinn Hughes, but what does it mean for the rest of the defense? For sure. But what it does do, though, it sets the stage, Dan, for you to bolster your top four. Not by adding a right side defenseman, but adding a left side defenseman. And finding a left hand, right, lefty top four defenseman is infinitely easier than finding a righty, left, uh, righty top four defenseman. It, it also might solve a long term problem in you're kind of stuck with Oliver Ekman Larson. And if this works, you know, maybe you get a few really good years out of OEL into his early 30s here. For sure. And if you're making a trade um, for one of your forwards, you're not getting a righty defenseman, but could you, get a, could you get a lefty that you think can work? It would be that much easier. Right. And all of a sudden, that person can come in, play with Myers or play with Shen, and that rounds up your top four because now you have Hughes and OEL figured out as one pair. So I think it's more about setting the stage for the future more so than setting the stage for this season. But you got to start somewhere. Yeah. And if you can do it adequately, it's going to make it a lot easier for this team throughout the course of the season if a left-handed defenseman comes available for them to be able to make a deal and feel like, okay, this guy can fit into our team now because we don't have OEL and Hughes ahead of them. It's got the uh, the potential to for an easier solution Yes, uh, if it does work out. Now, the other part of this is the right side. So Luke Shen has had a lot of success playing with Quinn Hughes. If he's not playing with Quinn Hughes, what is he? I will have that question going into the season. There is the Pullman conversation as well. So Quinn moves to the right. Now you have Myers, Shen, Burroughs, and Pullman. That's four right side defensemen. And Myers is the lock. Shen is a lock. Pullman and Burroughs are obviously the extras there. Pullman is the player that is more of an NHL guy than yeah. Burroughs. All due respect to Kyle, who had a solid season last year. But if he's available, like, yeah, he would be the third-pairing guy for me. Or that other guy that plays on the right outside of Shen. You kind of mentioned this. Everything I've heard is... It's not a lock for Pullman to be ready for the start of the season. As much as Patrick Alvin has mentioned, it looks like he's mm-hmm. he's getting ready and he's healthy and he should be available for, for training camp and all of these things. It's going to come down to those fitness tests, uh, getting him into a preseason game, seeing yeah. how he reacts to those. Remember, he did come back in April yeah. uh, last year, played one period, and then that was it. And then we've kind of gone into the summer wondering what's going on with with Tucker Pullman. And ultimately, health is the number one thing. 
But Tucker Pullman is still very much a question mark. Uh, his availability is still a question mark for me on this team. Yeah, I mean, it's the testing is going to determine it. You know, how does he feel afterwards? Yeah. You know, once he kind of when he pushes the VO2 max and all that sort of stuff, how does it feel afterwards? The next day, can he get out on the ice? And if he can, great. But you're right. Until they test them and really push his limits, they're not going to really know that yet. Yeah. And that doesn't start happening until training camp starts. I mean, I, I, what I expect to see is that he participates in training camp, and then as time goes on, it'll be interesting to see if he if he stays active or they start reeling him back a little bit. Uh, that's going to be something to watch here over the next uh, 10 days as we get to training camp and the first preseason game next Sunday. Uh, Tanbeer makes a good point. Uh, the 650 radio schedule is all over the place. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, we've been on in the morning. Here we are in our regular time slot that we are during the season. Tomorrow we'll be on 11 to 1. But uh, podcast, if you subscribe to the podcast, you're always getting the latest edition of Canuck Central. So that's the best way uh, right now to make sure you never miss any of our shows as we lead up to the season. On the conversation of depth, we've focused so much on the defense. What about the forward group, Sat? Yes, we know. There's 12 really good forwards, 13 really good forwards, if you want to include Dakota Joshua, who the club thinks of pretty highly coming into this season. But what does the depth look like beyond what they have and specifically at the center position because Mm. i think you know wingers you can find you can plug and play some guys in fourth line minutes but when it comes to playing the middle of the ice that's a bit of a different animal and that's still an area of concern going into this season because you lose one guy to injury and all of a sudden your plans are not as clear as they were going into the year. Sheldon Dries, come on down. Yep. I mean, like... And even him, he didn't he didn't even play much center when uh, he was playing uh, with the Canucks last year. No, and, and I mean, like, he signed a two-year deal to come back because he liked yeah. what he did, but it's a two-way deal, mm-hmm. right? But he provides a little bit of cover down the middle if you need. But, again, it's not somebody that you feel good about having to play. And going through the list of all their other prospects... Linus Carlson plays center, but he's going to play center in the NA, you know, coming uh, over from Europe initially. Niels Amon center, but can he play? I mean, they have guys, but how much can they do? And Dakota Joshua has played center. Is he going to be able to do so? Maybe in a pinch, but there isn't a lot of depth center-wise. But even going through it forward-wise, Justin Dowling, if Justin Dowling and Sheldon Dries and Will Lockwood are your three most NHL-ready, and Phil DeGiuseppe, so those yeah. four. So those are the four guys you call up. Who is providing any sort of offense in any any role? Who? Uh, Dries maybe provides the most offense out of those guys. Yeah, and you know, it's very, it's limited, though. It is. So they don't really have anybody to fit into a top nine there's role. There's no, like, offensive prospect Not coming really. on the wing. Like, there's Klimovich, there's... Like Ermacki, but those guys aren't no, exactly Klim- like ready for the NHL. No, right Klimovich might be a little take a little time still, right? And and even Arshdeep Baines, but Arshdeep Baines, Neil Amon, and these guys are playing in the AHL for the first time. Yeah, you know, you got to be patient, see, see where that kind of goes. So I can't, I keep looking like, at I, it. I do keep hearing optimism on Amon, but again, like you, it's very much like we need to see this at the AHL for a consistent amount of time before it really even becomes an NHL conversation. Well, yeah, so there isn't a ton there. So I keep looking at it, and, you know, Niels Hoaglander 
if he ends up on your fourth line, yeah, he's, he's got to give you a little bit of cover. But I think they need another forward in the mix here in training camp. Mm-hmm. You know, and I know Rutherford mentioned Chase on. He's still there. Maybe he does join or whatever. But I wouldn't be surprised if they do bring a forward in on a PTO. And I'll take it one step farther. I think they need to bring in another forward on a PTO. Specifically a center or a forward? If you can find a center, great. But somebody who chase on makes sense to me to come back and and fight it at least. See see what happens, right? If Hoaglander shows, all right, he might have to start the season in the AHL and those other guys show, okay, they're not going to be ready to contribute. Well, at least you have someone who last year played on your power play, can play on your top nine, provided some value for you. I think they need another forward in the mix on a PTO for cover, especially if injuries happen or if a couple of those guys aren't ready yet. It's, um, it is interesting, like when you think about uh, PTOs, who are you looking at? Chason is proven to be a guy that can at least help your power play if somebody goes down with an injury. He is not the fastest guy, but is smart enough to know where to be in fourth line minutes and then also play maybe on your second power play unit or he provides another one of those right shots that we know the Canucks love to have in the net front spot. So it does make a lot of sense, but it's definitely got to be something you keep an eye on. there's, There's just the NHL or even potentially NHL ready talent is not there in the AHL. Not from a not from an offensive point of view. No, they have guys that show up and play. Yeah. You know what I mean? And even down down the middle, you know, they have drives and I know Kevin from Calgary is saying you guys are exaggerating the depth issues. Dickinson can play center. Dickinson uh, he's not going to start the year playing center for this team. He'll be on the wing. Yeah. In a pinch he can play center, yes. I mean, so can Dakota Joshua. These guys can, but the yes. point being, you're still organizationally, you, you still want to have one more person coming up at some point that can do so. Now, to me, even beyond the center point, who's a potential guy who can fit into your top nine? Forget a center. Just look at it from a scoring winger standpoint yeah. or somebody who can do a little bit of something for you. I think they need to have one more guy in the mix here. And if you really want to be a team that's going to fight for a playoff spot, I mean, I think you need to have one more forward option at your disposal. And especially if Niels Hoaglander isn't quite ready, and they decide he starts in Utica, I mean, starts in Abbotsford this season, then I think you'd want to have a chase-on type of player as your 13th forward. Because at least, you know, if something happens, you got that guy coming up. You have Hoaglander as well. I think you want one more guy there. Uh, I do think that, like, like they, it does feel like they have enough forwards, um, but you could always have more. It, it could always be a little bit better from a depth perspective one texter saying, what about Tyler Mott on a PTO? I think it, it seems wild given uh, where Tyler Mott's reputation was in this city, but clearly around the league, not quite as uh, as strong because he's still out there and available as an unrestricted free agent. Yeah, I mean, like, so, probably taking a PTO at this point. So, oh yeah, I mean, if if you're starting Hoaglander yeah. in the minors, you can sign Mott. He can be. He'll probably make your team. Yeah. He'll probably be on your fourth line. And you know what Mott can do? He can play on your fourth line. Yeah. He's got a good shot. You know. Joshua will be the thirteen forward. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't solve play on the penalty kill. But it doesn't solve the one depth issue. And, and this is minutia stuff. I understand. Like we're getting to Canucks minutia, talking about who's a it depth is Canucks option. central. It is exactly. This is very much that. But but my point being is, it seems like a minor thing here today because we're like, yeah, hey, who cares about Chase on or somebody else or whatever? Like it doesn't move the needle. 
But during the course of the season, it's just going to happen. Yep. Injuries happen. Stuff stuff happens. And what did we discuss so much the past week or so? How are you giving yourself the chance to be marginally better almost in every area? Marginally. Yeah. Well, part of it is if you have a guy who can provide a bit more depth and perhaps score a handful of goals for you in a situation, does it give you half a win in a season somewhere? And you get a half a win somewhere else? And you some and with those half wins, you kind of piece together through your depth? Well, there's an extra four points on the season. Yeah, That's how you ensure that you can get into the postseason, I think. Because, again, you might see some guys take big leaps, but I think for this team to, to get past that point, they can have areas of their squad that hurts them. Last year, one of the things that hurt them was the lack of availability of defensive players for their PK. And they had to get really creative and outside the box when uh, Boudreaux was hired for them to become, you know, passable on the PK. But they had some depth issues. Right-hand centerman was lacking, lefty defenseman was lacking, and they were lacking a little bit of depth too forward-wise. So they've added some of that, but they still need a little bit more to make up for some of those issues and deficiencies. Because if you do... Well, all of a sudden, you're probably not starting the first you know, quarter of the season with you know, a historically bad PK. And when injuries happen, you're not forced to play Sheldon Dry's 15, 16 minutes in a game. Alex Chason, uh, you know, last year was the PTO signing. He worked out perfectly as a PTO signing for this club. Uh, some other players that uh, are taking PTOs, I think Daniel Sprong took one today. Uh, I think back with Seattle, had 14 goals for them last year. It, uh, it sort of dries up pretty quickly of guys that do have some goal-scoring track record of any kind at the NHL level. But uh, a guy like Sonny Milano, who's still unsigned, I think he's still looking for a fairly significant contract and not a PTO. Yeah, I mean, he may have to s- settle for under $2 million. I mean, yeah. Rodriguez signed for one year $2 million. Yeah, which is wild to me. Yeah, but so he signs for that. That means Milano is getting less. I mean, if I, if I'm Colorado, I sign Tyler Mott. I sign Sonny Milano. Yeah. You sign Evan Rodriguez. Why don't you sign all these guys? Sign all these one-year guys. You got a little bit of cap space. Do it. Honestly, like they got Rodriguez, who I thought was a a real smart, cheap bet for them. Now, I mean, they lost Kadri. He's not Kadri, but he gives them somebody who can who can shadow in that type of a role, yeah. right? And somewhat hold his own, even though he's not going to be providing anywhere near the overall value that Nazem Kadri brought. But hey, you have a type of player that comes in and does some of that stuff for you. If you get Milano, well, he's not quite Burakovsky, but he gives you a little bit of what yeah. you missed there, right? You bring in Ty Lamont, well, maybe get 75, 80% of what those guys brought. Abe right? Kubel and those guys. Here's the guy that comes in and, and provides that. I mean, if I'm Colorado, I, I don't know why you haven't signed those two guys already. <laughs> Sat, uh, Sat saying he's a better GM than uh, than Joe Sackick. You, you heard it here on Canucks Central. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. Just uh, taking a run at the local legend. <laughs> Listen, I know you want a Stanley Cup, but you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Well, actually, it's Christmas McFarland now, isn't it? Uh, Chris McFarland, yeah. yeah. Christmas McFarland. <laughs> Chris McFarland, the GM uh, in Colorado. Sat says, uh, Sat says he's better than you. That's, uh, <laughs> Sat does GM. That's a real. That's a real thing that happened on Canuck Central today. Yeah, uh, we've got lots of coming up. Uh, Don Taylor is going to join us uh, here on uh, Canuck Central. Donnie and Dolly uh, joins us weekly here on the show, and uh, more. We'll get to Elias Pettersson as well, who showed up at camp today and spoke with the media. It's Canuck Central on Sportsnet 650. It's Canuck Central coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 
It's Canuck Central, and this hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. Um, a bit of breaking news, Sat. What's going on? Um, BC Premier John Horgan has announced the province will follow the lead of the federal government in observing a national day of mourning to mark Queen Elizabeth II's funeral school and post-secondary institutes will be closed. So uh, this upcoming Monday? Holiday. Right. September 19th. I have a feeling we'll be here. <laughs> will we, though? Will we? We will find out. There's got to be some benefit of being in the Commonwealth, right? Need to, to take the morning day. <laughs> we, need, we need a day of mourning. Canada's grandmother. But people were, people were so mad that there was getting so much attention. Yeah. Now you're like, now people are like, you know what? No, I'll take a day off. <laughs> yeah, sure, I'll take a day off. Why not? All of a sudden, public sentiment swung <laughs> quickly. You just you've you've won over the BCers. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, it's Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. Let's welcome in our next guest. It's Don Taylor, Donnie and Dolly, t- uh, on uh, ten to noon on uh, Czech TV Monday through Friday. What's happening, Donnie? Well, um, just uh, taking it easy after uh, finishing a hard day at work. Finishing <laughs> a hard day at work, you'd be dolly well in line. Yeah. And uh, it's it's all good. It's all, it's all good. My lawn is a mess right now. We've got moles on yeah. my lawn. Oh, no. See, that's yeah. if you if you didn't have to spend so much time raining in dolly wall, your lawn would look good. It, 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 yeah, you'd, you'd think that. But no, it's uh, just, I know they're cute, but man, I don't know. What, what purpose do they serve? That's next, <laughs> next week on this show. I'll, I'll have the answer. When, it, when are you starting the aeration process on your lawn? Or uh, you, you don't go as far as the golf courses do? Uh, well, no, they're always, you know, like uh, my lawn is, is uh, nice. And so you get the, you know, the odd, you get those guys come around, they want to aerate your lawn for a certain price. I've had that done before, but usually it's just, uh, you know what? I, I don't need that because I've got moles and they're aerating my lawn. I don't Man. really, I, now that I think about it, I don't need that this year. Oh, you might be good. I mean, so are you guys going to uh, observe uh, the holiday on Monday and take the day off? Maybe you can work on your lawn a bit more? Or I don't know. What, what, I, you know, this, this news is just breaking today. What, what, what are you guys doing? Uh, we don't know yet. I mean, we're trying yeah. to find, we'll find out from our boss. But, I mean, you know, we figured since you're your own boss, I thought you might just make an executive call. Yeah, well, I wish I, I wish that. Well, as you know, check, we're all bosses. It's yeah. employee-owned, so I guess the decision is up to us. I haven't heard anything. As far as I know, I, I, I'm working, and, you know, um, I, I after the I, – I wouldn't mind a day off. We did have that short uh, summer break. So, <laughs> Very uh, short, yeah. <laughs> so I, I really need a day off, so we'll see. Well, there is uh, there is lots to talk about Canucks-wise now. Yeah, yeah. Lots of yeah. lots of scrimmages to, to, to break down, but uh, – Mostly, uh, you know, the the big story out of today, uh, I guess, um, you know, we're and I, I know we've been talking about it already for a lot of the summer, but Quinn Hughes playing on the right side with with Oliver Ekman Larson. Uh, Canucks are trying to be creative, I guess, on how to make their defense work or work better, more efficiently, given uh, that was where they didn't make any moves this offseason. Yep, you you got a kid out there. Make him, and he wants to be a defenseman somehow. If he's left-handed, make him right-handed. There's 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 money to be made out out there. Um, I always get this from people who are around my age or who remember, you know, one of the great players of all time. That well, Bobby, you are played you left-handed who played the right side. Yeah, 
he was Bobby Orr. So that I always like throw that argument out the door. It's not as easy as people think. Um, you know, there's obviously um, issues keeping the puck in at the point offensively, getting the puck out on your backhand uh, defensively. The, the one thing that can really help that is if you're a tremendous skater like Bobby Orr was, and I'm not comparing Quinn Hughes to Bobby Orr for a second, but that certainly helps. And when you see other players that have tried that move, Nate Schmidt uh, recently with the Canucks, they're not the skaters that, that Quinn Hughes is. This could work. I mean, he's such a talented mm-hmm. skater. He, he, he can he can gain an extra second if he's on his backhand that maybe other players couldn't in their own zone. So maybe, maybe and, and the other thing with Quinn is, you know, he's played long enough, I'm sure, that there have been times, I'm sure, where he has had to play the right side, uh, you know, during minor hockey or what, whatever the case may be. So maybe there's a little, I know it's different at the NHL level, but it's interesting, and my, my understanding, and, you know, um, Rick's understanding is, is that, it was Quinn who came to the Canucks and said, look, if, if this is an issue, if you need somebody on the right side, a lefty on the right side, let me try it. Let me do it. I think I can do it. So that's positive. It's not something that they have to force down a player's throat. Um, it's something he is asked to do, and uh, that they, they, they're better for that, I think, because he'll go in with a more of a positive uh, mindset versus a coach or, a, or GM saying, hey, we, want, we need you to do this. Well, you know, what you were just mentioning, Donnie, just got me thinking, and it, it got me back to what we saw from Quinn throughout the course of last season, heading into last year, how much focus he put in being better defensively, how serious he was about that, and how he executed that during the year. But then also towards the end of the season, when we heard from other Canucks players, whether it's it was Luke, Shen, or others, talking about how Quinn, towards the end, was one of the guys who spoke up about, we're setting a higher standard now, and even though the playoffs look like they're not going to happen anymore, or our chance is no longer here, we have to keep that standard high. We've got to play harder every night we have, we have this is who we are now and now he's coming in this offseason i want to play the right side i know what we need as our team are we really seeing him emerge as a leader now that's a great point and again another one that i'm going to steal off you sat uh, <laughs> tomorrow on the show Love it. but yeah he, he did he did um seem to be more, come forth come across as more of a leader uh the near the end of last season and a move like that where you know he's looking at the roster someone who's been around a couple of years now and you know what we need help on that right side. And that's not nothing against Luke Shen or, or Tyler Myers or Kyle Burrows, but everybody knows that there's an issue on the right side and they could use some help. And he's enough of a leader, but sure enough to go, look, I know that a lot of players will complain about this. Sort of, I, I, we get it at minor hockey, you know, the players, I don't want to play that side. It's not my right, you know, it's not the proper side for me, blah, blah, blah. But here's a guy who's enough of a leader, mature enough to go, no, we need help, and I'll, and I'll put my hand up, and I'll, I'll try it. Don Taylor, our guest. So it's cool that Quinn Hughes is going to try this. Uh, do, do you think it works with him and Oliver ekman Larson as the, the Canucks' top pair? Yeah, I mean, I, mean um, I, I, you know, I didn't mind Tyler Myers with, with Oliver ekman Larson. I thought he was good with him, and you guys have the analytic stats, and it, it seemed to work, but... The, the, if that's the case, they're going to be on the ice a whole lot. They're very talented. Uh, is there enough edge there? If they have the puck a lot, which you would think with those two talented players they would, then maybe maybe that takes care of some of the defensive responsibilities. When you know you you have the puck, that's not a bad defense. So I I think at the very least, at the situation they're in, it's worth a try. And you're you're talking about two very talented uh, defensemen who are great puck handlers 
who can handle the puck, keep it, keep possession. I think it's worth, at the very least worth a shot. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. And one of the things it can do, if if that can work down the road, whether it's this season during the year or next off season or whatever. It's going to be a lot easier for this team to look at their squad and say, we only got to find, we got to find another lefty defenseman for our top four instead of we have to find a righty defenseman. Because if you have Hughes and, and uh, Meyer, I mean, Hughes and uh, OEL as a pair, you still need a righty long term, but you still need a lefty. And it makes it a bit easier for you to bring a lefty in instead of having, you know, Hughes and OEL ahead of that guy. Yeah, and there's more of them. There's more, yeah. there, there's, there's more of them out there. I mean, look at, you know, the, they, they just signed Danny DeKaiser, you know, lefty. Uh, Travis Dermott, a lefty. They're, you know, arguably best prospect, or at least one, well, maybe not their best prospect, the best prospect on the blue line, you know, Rathbone, left-handed. They're just, they're, there's, there's plenty of them out there. So, yeah, it would, it would certainly help if you got one of them to capably move to the right side and just makes things so much easier uh, going forward. And if somebody emerges as a righty or you draft a righty, you acquire one, you know that Quinn Hughes can move to the left side if, if need be. It just makes things so much, so much better, so much easier. So uh, Elias Patterson arrives uh, into Vancouver today and was a part of that scrimmage. Uh, what, what do you want to see from Patterson coming out of the gate this year? Well, um, he's here, so that's good. That's, that's, that's a start. <laughs> it's, a, it's a step ahead of last year, right? Yeah. I love what he had to say today. I don't know if you guys broke down the interview uh, uh, yet, but coming up yeah, next hour, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he he, you know, a little preview here. He'll talk a lot about mm. his mindset and about how he looks at the start of last season as a positive. That he was, in, in his estimation, and we we'd all agree with this. He was below average. Something was wrong, and it was the start of the season with the with the contract issue. It was the start of the season with the wrist issue. There was a lot there, and he was eventually able to overcome. Um, you know, he had a couple of good games where he boosted his confidence, and he, he talks about how it was such a good learning experience because he knew he went through a really tough time where people were doubting him. He was doubting himself, and he came through. So he, he came through, and what he talked about today was consistency and learning from learning from that real difficult time and knowing that he's good enough and confident enough in himself that he can bounce back. So he looks at that start as, as part of the learning process of being a young NHLer and as a positive. And it, it, it really um, really was, if you're a Canuck fan, really nice to hear him say that. He also looked thicker. Yeah. I, and again, I'm you know no doctor or body expert or trainer, but just in his neck, he just looked, thicker and i mean that in a good good way so there's that there seems to be more strength we saw the shots of him in the offseason with the the buzz cut and the weight belt and all that he he looks like he's really taking his conditioning in terms of getting strong and he talked about that as Mm -hmm. well uh, getting stronger really seriously well and you know one of the things about him and not trying to get too psychoanalytical here or anything but we knew that he was a serious kid when he first came in his rookie season how hard he worked and you know uh, how mature he was in terms of what he had to do but I wonder if he had to also go through some additional maturity and emotional maturity the past couple of years a little bit too with everything that's happened you know whether it's living in Canada with being away from his parents for a long time yeah. during pandemic and just all the emotions of being the young star and everything else that goes with it I wonder what we saw was him, you know, really maturing emotionally based on everything he went through last year. Yeah, and not just what he went through um, uh, emotionally and everything. We, we forget that these are young guys going through COVID, playing mm-hmm. in this, 
you know, high level sport. That's difficult. But he's close to Brock Besser. And, and and one of the one of the moments last year that really stuck out for me off the ice was Elias choking up when talking about Duke Besser, the late great uh, Duke Besser, and, and what his friend Brock had to go through. And so that there was an emotional moment that was, or some you know emotions that were tough uh, for him. He he got he, he got through that and and had to have himself a a good finish to to the season. But just a lot of maturity there. And, and you know this is a hard segue, but I think um, another thing people would like to see more of from Elias is shoot the darn puck. Um, cause we, we know the weapon that he has. And sometimes you see him double clutch or think about passing. Um, we've seen that before in the past with Swedish players. I don't mean to stereotype, but you, you, you want him to use that big weapon more and more. You know, when, when we think about Pedersen, um, you know, bouncing back, having a breakout season, uh, there's a few of those players that, that could have that this year. And um, you mentioned you know, Besser. Um, he's now in town as well. Do you think Besser can be that 30-goal guy that this, this club thought he was going to be from, from the rookie outset, Donnie? I do. And, and I say that because, I, you know, was he great last season? I, I would say no. He was good, though, maybe very good considering the circumstances. He's got 23 goals. You know, and, and most people felt it was, you know, a subpar season for Brock Besser, and we found out why later. So if he can get 23 with that giant weight on his back, uh, on his mind, you'd have to think he's capable of, of getting 30. And uh, and I I just – and then, you know, plus I think he was in the 40s for points. I just – you just expect that, that with the weight off his shoulders and, you know, and who am I to say – if it's not still there, but you, you'd think as time goes by for all of us, when we lose somebody so close to us, that mm-hmm. things get somewhat back to normal. So I, I, I certainly think at the very least, definitely capable of getting 30 goals. Yeah. He, he's come close before. Well, I, I think he's, he's, definitely the best bounce back candidate on this team. Like if I'm betting money on one player having a career year this season, I'm betting on Brock Besser doing so. Because when you look at his numbers, yeah, they were fine earlier, but 29 goals is his career high. What, 56 points, 58 points is his career high. If he stays healthy, he should have a career season this year. Yeah, yeah. And a big F if there. And, um, and, you know, his his mental state, again, you'd think he'd he'd have a clearer head and all that. And we all understand what he went went through. So you, you said it there, though. Sat, it, it's been him in the past, you know, the back, the arm, um, injuries in his past. If he stays healthy, thirty goals definitely possible for that guy. Uh, Don Taylor, our guest here on uh, on Canuck Central. So uh, Bo Horvat, we we moved on from JT Miller contract talks. Uh, what's going to happen with the captain here? Uh. You know, we our poll question today was something to the effect of, uh, you know, what would you like to see from Bo Horvat? Would you like to see his contract extended, or would you like to see what a lot of people wanted to see with J.T. Miller, and that's a deal for picks and prospects? I think a 99-point player is going to is going to get you more. Um, he, he's the captain, and I know you know that doesn't mean he can't get uh, traded by any means, but uh, I just. And I'm not so sure this is the right thing to do, but I just get uh, I get the feeling that that he's going to get extended, and, and and I think that's the what most people want. That was certainly were the results of our polls. But I just wonder if they do resign Brock uh, Bo Horvat, they've already signed Brock Besser, J.T. Miller. Um, 
people have already you hear the odd whisper, but wow, this seems the same as as, as Jim Benning, and it, it's certainly not to this point. But it just seems, it seems that they're going down that road, re-signing all these players who were part of a team that you know didn't make the playoffs, who struggled in the past, all of that. But I, I and this might be Benning esque as well. I just wonder maybe they saw enough with the Canucks under Boudreau that they believe that there's something special to this core. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if they if they resigned him. Donnie, we appreciate the time as always. Uh, we'll be figuring out or maybe helping you out with those moles in the in the lawn. Okay. Oh yeah, absolutely. See, and here's the other problem. You guys can relate. Uh, we all have better halves in our lives. Um, it, there's a problem with getting rid of the moles because my wife says they're too cute. <laughs> so <laughs> my lawn doesn't look cute right now. So update next week. All right. Uh, well, well, maybe get a picture with some of the cute moles then. Okay. Well, I'd love to see one. Actually, you know, what? I heard somebody told me wiener dogs are good for getting rid of moles. So I mean, I, I'll, I'll send you a picture of a dash hound if I, if I buy one I have, next week. I haven't figured this out yet. I mean, do moles, the moles don't have eyes, right? Yeah, I think they can't see. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's what I think, right? So, I mean, right. this should be yeah. easy to sneak up on. <laughs> yeah. 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 Unfortunately, I can't get underground. <laughs> Uh, this is going to be like uh, your version of Caddyshack. I like it. Uh, yeah. Don, <laughs> uh, Donnie, appreciate the time as always. Anytime, guys. Lots of fun. Uh, there is uh, Don Taylor. Donnie and Dolly, 10 to noon. Check TV. Joins us uh, during the season every Monday uh, here on Canucks Central. I'm just looking at photos of moles. They're cute. <laughs> just no eyes. <laughs> the moles are cute. Uh, uh, I can't believe we've we've graduated to this now. That the moles are cute. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, <laughs> coming up, we're going to hear from Elias Pettersson. Uh, he spoke today for the first time uh, since coming back into Vancouver with the media. Uh, you heard Donnie talk about it a little bit there, uh, some interesting stuff with Pettersson. We've also seen um, a lot more eight-year deals show up in the NHL. Jordan Cairo, the latest, signing a $65 million extension. With the St. Louis Blues. Mm-hmm. He got the bag. He got the bag, man. And um, it's just a trend that continues on. Yeah. For these young players in the National Hockey League getting massive, massive contracts. Not, not just young players. Like, Nachushkin got eight years as well. Huberto got eight years, which maybe factored into JT Miller's contract. So it wasn't, it, it was mostly younger players going into their second contracts or coming off of a, a, a shorter bridge deal. But um, there was a lot of eight-year deals this year. Well, and in the Cairo one, so, so the year prior, yeah, he was pretty good. Had about thirty-five points, fifty-five games, had a solid season. But it's really one year of exploding. Mm-hmm. Lo, uh, Logan Thompson, one year of exploding. Yeah, gets a big contract. Yeah, Nichuskin, one year of being a massive impact player, gets a big contract. I think what this Stusla is also, didn't even have his real breakout, right? What it's so showing, though, is as you see the news come out that the cap's going to go up in a few years, mm-hmm. your opportunity to get these guys signed cheaper is now. Yeah. So if you didn't make that bet now as opposed to in a few years when the cap goes up and it's like, oh, keeping Jordan Cairo is going to cost you $10 million instead of mm-hmm. $8 million. That's the world we're going to live in soon. Yeah. You know, We're not there yet because you know uh, revenues have been depressed the past few years because of the pandemic. But once we get past that and once we see the revenues go up the next five to ten years – 
you're going to see insane numbers in NHL too. Like we're sitting here and talking about guys making seven, eight million, and it's a lot of money. Those guys are going to making be making ten plus yeah. once that cap increase happens. Uh, right now, you know that's uh, about ten percent of the cap. Yep. But uh, if the cap is going up, but it's closer to ninety million, a hundred million, which we'll get to, then ten percent is ten million. Yeah. So it's uh, it, it changes the game quite a bit. It's always percentage of the cap that you should be looking at when a deal gets signed and where it could end up. I think that's uh, the way teams are looking at it. Uh, it's Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw. Coming up, uh, Elias Pettersson, his take on being back and uh, where he's at heading into this season and why it's way ahead of last year. That's next on Canuck Central.